Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, as you heard, we are the Armchair Superheroes. I am Pat Lane. Here with me is Taylor Kyles. Taylor, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, man. I'm healthy. I'm happy. Excited about the draft class, but I'm more excited because I got to rewatch Iron Man and Iron Man 2, which I personally think is super underrated, but we'll get into that later. But yeah, man, I'm pumped. Let's talk some Marvel, baby. Let's do it. Let's do it. Before... uh... Before we get started, though, I'd like to address the elephant in the room, or I guess not in the room, theoretically, right? Because he's not here. Uh, Wesley is is no longer on the show. Uh, I jinxed it last week, man. I, we were just talking about how much of a mush I am. I said he's always with us, and he's not. Uh, you know, difference of whatever. We still love him. He's still a great guy, but uh, but he's not going to be on the show anymore. Uh, but with that, we're going to move forward. We're talking about Iron Man. So we are in the MCU. We're doing the MCU chronologically, meaning in the timeline chronologically. So we started with... Captain America, the first Avenger. Then we went to Captain Marvel. Now we're doing Iron Man. Next up is Iron Man 2. So that's what we got. All right. So let's start with Iron Man. And uh, and the beginning, let, let's just talk about the first scene of the movie, the first scene of the MCU, really. We talk about, you know, in the way the MCU was shot, it's the first scene of the MCU. And it throws you in about, about 15, 20 minutes into the movie. And it's action immediately, right away. Robert Downey Jr. getting caught, realizing that it's his weapons that the bad guys are using to shoot against the Americans and against him as well. And really kind of an unbelievable uh, realization for him that really goes to define his character, not just through this movie, but through the entire MCU. And so obviously an incredibly important scene. And I love the way they started with this scene. Absolutely. It's actually funny that the first scene in the MCU is probably the one that dates it the most because he makes the MySpace reference, which obviously I I don't even know if MySpace (laughs) still exists. Which is pretty funny. And then the phone he pulls out, it's like a flip phone kind of. And you're just like, wow, yeah, no, this was definitely 2008. But uh, in terms right. of the character, I mean, everything is spot on. And what I love about this movie is the fact that it actually kind of, it didn't screw them, but it was something they had to kind of get through was it got put together pretty quickly. Like they didn't have an actual script. A lot of it was improvisation and really just Robert Downey Jr., um, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, um, Big Lebowski. I don't know why I just forgot his name. I love him as an actor too, but I'll figure it out at some point. But all those guys are really just like working off chemistry and just firing off each other. Robert Downey Jr., like his line in the tank, there's deleted scenes where you see, or there's scenes, if you look at the uh, bonuses for Iron Man, where you can kind of see all the different iterations of him 
basically going over that whole talk in the tank. And you see his charisma. You see he's a little bit of an asshole. You see that he's kind of an alcoholic. They don't really ever really poke that in the MCU, the fact that Tony Stark is a raging alcoholic in the comics. They kind of hint yeah. to it every now and then, but they took a lot of that out because, you know, it was still pretty early on. I don't think they were confident enough that they could go that deep into a superhero movie. Yeah. Um, but like you said, man, the establishing shot, the establishing scene was fantastic. You really get a sense of what this guy's going through, even though they do have the throwback and you don't really get back to him being in Afghanistan until a while later. A uh, great scene to show you that this guy started off as someone who was selfish, charismatic, yes, but also, you know, didn't really care about what his destructive weapons and power were doing to other people and, you know, had plenty of issues that it was going to take him about a decade to overcome. Right. No, it's, t- it's totally true. And, you know, just going back, then it, obviously the movie starts again, and then you see him and, and, and some of those scenes with him, right, where he uh, he takes the reporter home and, you know, leaves her in the yep. morning and isn't there and then takes, you know, I love Pepper's line where she's like, you know, I even take out the trash for him. And it's like, oh, it's just great, you know. I remember being um, 12 it's... years old and laughing at that joke. <laughs> like in the theater, I remember that joke. I thought it was hilarious. Right. right. And that's, you know, but it does a great job of setting him up. And of course she comes back later in the movie um, and she's there at the end as well. And so, and so she does, um, you know, and so she does kind of, she does have those uh, different roles. I guess she's a bit character really only in this movie though. I don't think she, I'm trying to think if she came back in Iron Man the 2 reporter? for briefly. Yeah. I think she was. She oh, she is in Iron Man too, as well. Yeah. Yeah, and then she's in like an Ant Man little like one of the side MCU things where they kind of have things to fill in the gap. They had one where oh, I think Ant Man gets arrested and she's like interviewing him. So she comes up about like two or three other times in the uh, okay. franchise, and we'll get to it later. But I think it's when oh, it's when they're in the when they're um in Italy, I think at the race or whatever, and then she uh, is talking to him and Hammer's trying to you know with Hammer in yep. there and she yep. just rejects him. Yep, that's it. Yes, exactly right. So, uh, you know, and the Jericho presentation, man, is is just, I mean, it's fantastic. You know, that's one of those scenes, right, epic. where he puts his arms up and the, it's just so epic, you know, and, uh, and and shows the type of salesman he is, right, and, and what mm-hmm. he can do, right? And then, of course, it leads into that scene, which they don't even have to show you because, which is great. Like, that's, you know, I think they do a good job with that because you know what's coming. You know what leads to it. And they don't even have to yep. show you that part again, but it's really interesting how they how they kind of use that. And of course, that sets everything up. And then you find out that uh, Jeff Bridges is working with those guys, and and uh, Jeff Bridges, that's it. <laughs> and you know, and his name in the movie, his name in the movie is ridiculous. Uh, Obadiah, Obadiah Stane, Stane. Like, it's badass, it's like foolish, you know. But but uh, but it's interesting, you know. And I'll tell you what, the the guy in the cave, I was con- the first time I watched it, I was completely convinced that he was a bad guy. Completely convinced that he was a bad guy. Because I just the figured only like put I this knew guy that he in wasn't the, with you the know, comics, like, but yeah. Right. Yep. Right. See, I hadn't read the comics. And so I'm thinking like this guy's gotta be a bad guy. He's gotta be in there. They want him to say something and all of a sudden he's gonna turn on him, you know? And of course he didn't, and he comes up at the beginning of Iron Man three. He's at he's at the conference that he's at, that guy Pierce is at at the beginning of Iron Man three. You just see him for a second. He doesn't even say anything. You just see him. Um, but it's a, you yep. know, it's a good little, a good little homage to him, you know, at the beginning of Iron Man three, but, and then he says, you know, I'll, I'll see them when I leave here about talking about his family. And of course you find out later his family's dead, which, oh, so man. that tells you, you know, and he says it anyways, but it tells you all along that like his, he knew he was going to die. He wasn't getting out of there, you know, and he's okay with that. Yep. And I thought that that was, and he was kind of you know, like, a, really he was like an Erskine and, figure where he's the guy who helps the superhero kind of figure out where his heart's at and where 
his right. responsibilities and values really should be. He's their kind of North Star. And, you know, their death kind of leads to these people understanding that there's, you know, a greater calling for them. And I guess really taking up the mantle as inspiration because they want to prove these mentorship figures, they want to prove them right and prove that they can be more than whatever society and everybody else told them they were before they were in their predicament. So, uh, yeah, I, I love Yensid. Like I said, I knew that he was a good guy because of the comics, but, uh, you know, you never know what the MCU is going to do. So I wasn't totally sure, but he was such a lovable character. He was, I think he's one of the characters that Marvel has done the best at in terms of giving them a lot of depth without giving them a lot of scenes. Like Yensid, when he died, Again, I remember being 12 years old, sitting in the theater, being legitimately upset about it. And I'm not, you know, oh, I yeah. didn't know much about movies back then. I was just watching for the explosions and everything. But I was really choked up because he's fantastic character. You give him that layer of, you know, he's not going to really be pushed around by Tony or anything like that because this is his environment. He knows the rules. So they give him an element of power, but they also make him someone that's compassionate and someone that you can relate to because you know that, you know, he's obviously a prisoner, too, so it's a very interesting situation. But, yeah, man, I love Yensen. It was cool. It was really cool seeing him at Iron Man 3 for, like, a brief second, like you said, being like, yeah. oh, that's the conference that they talked about in the cave. Yeah, yeah, exactly, you know. And he does. He says it to Tony. He says, you know, this is going to be your legacy, right? Do you want – are you going to let yeah. this be your legacy? And and so – and, of course, like you said, that's kind of pushes him. And then, you know, then he gets out of the cave, which is the dope scene, you know, with him with everything, and he flies out and everything. It's It's fantastic, you know. And he gets home. And he's like, I want a cheeseburger. And, you know, of course, right? Do you know the story we behind that? It, I do not know the story behind that. Okay, so strap in. That was actually something that happened to Robert Downey Jr. in real life. He obviously, as everyone knows, he had a very charred past, you know, with drugs, alcohol, just, you know, he was doing everything under the sun, really wasn't in a great place. Apparently, there was a day where he went to get Burger King and then I think he smelled the food or took a bite or something and realized, like, he was drugged out. And it snapped him back. And he was like, this is disgusting. What am I doing with my life? And then went through all his drugs and everything, like heroin and all this crazy stuff. He threw all his drugs off a bridge and was sober from that day on. So that was partially what? a joke that Burger King is the reason, literally the reason that he's sober, the reason he's Iron Man. It changed his entire life. Because the smell slash possibly the taste of Burger King was so offensive. Wowza. Okay. Yep. Well, I'll tell you what, that's one hell of an endorsement for Burger King. Right. <laughs> but hey, I mean, you know. But it's it, you know, it's one of those things though, right? When he says it, and so it's crazy that I didn't even know that. That that's crazy that it has that connection. But for me, you you hear that word and for me when he says cheeseburgers all i can think about is the end of end game right when when yep. his daughter then says you know what do you want to eat and she goes a cheeseburger and he's like oh your dad loves cheeseburgers too okay like i just like oh so every time he says it and then seeing him with the cheeseburger and it and it kind of is a recurring thing for him you know um he's always kind of doing something and tinkering and stuff and, and, you know, eating something, yep. it seems like when he's figuring something out, you know, um, Ooh, another Easter egg. But yeah, actually. that so, uh, when they were doing Avengers, that's actually something that Robert Downey Jr. is known for, especially in the Marvel movies. He hides food around the set so that he can basically just snack in between takes like an age of Ultron when he, or like in Avengers, when he offers cat blueberries, those were actually like blueberries that he brought on the set and just decided he wanted to eat while filming. Like that is what a legend he is. The dude just puts food wherever he wants and is like, yeah, I'm going to snack while doing my job. Like what a badass. I'm sorry to keep cutting you off. There's so, so many little cool No, dude, that's Robert fantastic. Jr. That's, stuff. 
<laughs> right. And that's the type of stuff that that we're trying to do here is give you some of that context where it's like, oh, my God, like I never knew that story, you know. So it's uh, it's funny to, to see that stuff, you know. And then you go through like I just going through and watching the movie and look, it's not. Is it the best of the of the MCU? No, it is not. I think that the mirror villain is a villain is a thing that they've had issues with. Really, in every single solo movie, they've had issues with the mirror villain. And obviously it starts mm -hmm. here you know uh with with jeff bridges but it's you know it at the same time there's a lot of good there's a lot of good in it and i think that yes yep. you know the the final fight scene i don't love it's okay it's fine it's not great but it's good you know like the you know the the the, the thing blows up right and it throws right. tony away who doesn't even have a helmet on but it kills yep. obadiah and you're like well wait a second like how come he's killed by it but tony isn't so it's like you know, it's stuff like that. But look, you know, it's a, it's at the end of the day, it's a superhero movie, right? Like you can't look right. that far into some of those things. But then again, we do look really far into some things. And so it's like, hey, you know, like you got to take the go with the bad. There is some suspension of disbelief where you have to just kind of say, hey, look, like this is the way things happen. OK, it looks like he's almost dead. Right. And then miraculously, he isn't dead. Like that's what happens, you know, until he really is dead. You know, like that's that's the way it goes. Yep. And so, and you know, it just it is what it is, you know. And this movie set the tone for the entire MCU. Like, a lot of the things it does well, a lot of the things it does poorly, that's pretty much what you saw throughout Phase 1 for a lot of Phase 2 before they really started to get more experimental and try to do different things and experiment in other genres a little more heavily. Obviously, they did. Like, Thor, Captain America, and Iron Man are three completely different movies. But in terms of really right. giving the stories a little more depth than just the main character and the supporting cast of people that are going to keep showing up. But Iron Man, I give a pass for. One, because it was the first one. So, obviously, they were going off a completely brand new script. And also, like I said earlier, the fact that this movie really was rushed. They didn't have the script. A lot of it was kind of like, literally, they would go day by day. Jeff Bridges, uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, and, um, oh, my God, Happy Hogan. What's how, Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? What's, John, uh, John Favreau. Favreau. There we go. John Favreau. They would literally meet in a trailer and be like, all right, this is how these lines are going to go. Usually in a movie, you know, you have the, the table reads and you have everybody going through all the scripts at the same time. This was a movie that literally day by day was changing. So when you consider what they did, and I think, like I said, how it set the tone, the best Marvel movies right. are the ones with the most heart. Like if the villain sucks, if the fight sucks, you forgive it as long as you can empathize with the character and fall in love with him. This movie obviously did it better than arguably any Marvel movie since because right. they focused so much on Tony Stark. And they understood, look, if we're going to kind of throw this thing together, the main character has to work. Like, and they, they knew that. This was the start of their whole cinematic universe. Actually, fun mm -hmm. fact, if this movie didn't work out, Marvel Studios would have gone bankrupt. They took out, like, like uh, I think almost a billion-dollar loan, or not, maybe not that much, but it was hundreds of millions of dollars from the bank to finance the movie because they didn't have any money to actually do it. So if the movie flopped, they would have been screwed. There would be no MCU, not just because people wouldn't have cared, but because they would have gone bankrupt and they would have had to sell themselves right. off like they did back in the 80s or 90s or whatever. So, I mean, just understanding that they have this character that you love so much and you can understand there's layers to him. And even though he has his problems and they don't all go away, he's someone that honestly wants to be better, wants to make a difference. And, uh, and yeah, I mean considering the circumstances they were dealing with, it's kind of hard to fault this movie for what it does wrong. And I mean, the sound design and the costume, especially like this is that movie is the best the Iron Man suit has ever looked. And I don't think like it, when you look at infinity war and the nanotech suit, 
that looked way more fake than the actual first Iron Man suit because of how many practical effects that John Favreau uses in his movies. That's a big thing right. he does with like the Jungle Book and you know when he's he's been working on uh, bringing these Disney movies to life like The Lion King as well. But because of his infusion of practical effects and things like that, you rewatch this movie. It's from 2008, and there are times where you really can't totally tell what's fake and what's not. Like when he goes to Galmira, where he enters town, when the reporter tells him about it at the party, and he flies over and doesn't say anything until the very end, after he just slaughters everyone, gets the main guy, yeah. throws him to the townspeople, and says, he's all yours. And it sends chills. Okay. It's the only thing he says. And the only other thing you can hear, really, is the suit. You hear the all the sound design and like the way that everything's roaring and the gears are firing and it's, Oh my God. Like that scene is just so right. good. The sound is fantastic. The way it's directed. God, I love it. I can go on longer. We need to move yeah, on that too, but I love that movie, man. It's fantastic. I know. And well, that, and the thing is, look, right. Is that I agree with you. I mean, and that's, and I think, look, Downey Jr., I mean, they've changed the character in the comics to look like Downey Jr. He is Iron Man yep. at this point, right? So, like, and so so he absolutely crushed it, knocked out of the park, right? And I agree with you with the suit. Now, the hard thing is, right, and this is one of the things that you look at and one of the things I w we're going to talk about uh, in the next show with Iron Man 2, but, like, the, although the suit is great and you're right about the suit looking great and everything else, the process to get it on and off is incredibly clunky and, and which makes sense yeah. because he's just starting. Right. And he's just started building mm -hmm. it and everything else. But, but it's like, yeah, well, if he's not at home and he's out somewhere, like why wouldn't someone just kill him? Like once they, and obviously this movie, they don't know he's Iron Man. And so, you know, that that's not relevant, but like, but if he doesn't have the suit with him at all times, he is a walking target for basically anybody that wants to, you know, that, that wants to, try to take over you know the u.s or whatever right like he's right. in your line of defense and he's creating peace and everything but you know can he really do that and so and so of course they had to upgrade that and make it so that he can kind of transform into iron man whenever he wants and not just at his house right but at the same time mm -hmm. like you're right like the suit is so cool the the setup is so cool him getting into it and then him getting out of it you know pepper sees him and he's like let's face it, this isn't the worst got me doing. Like, you know, it's just yep. like, there's, there's so many great scenes, you know, and, and, and you're right about it. Like the suit looks fantastic. And, and the whole, I do love the sounds of it. Cause you don't get that really through any of the other movies as you go. And you get it a little in Iron Man too, but like, but once you get to like infinity war and Endgame, you don't hear any of that stuff because he's already worked through all the kinks and everything else, you know? So it's, it's just interesting. Some of the things for me, I think the operation scene with Pepper is hysterical. Like, I love that scene when she's taking the thing out of his chest and he's like, Do you just know don't how touch that aside. Out? No. See, you have the, see, this is it. I just set you up oh, and yeah. then you bring in the Easter eggs. You know, it's great. I got it. I love this. So, what they did was that was another thing where they used practical effects. They basically put a fake chest on top of Robert Downey Jr. that had the hole in it. It was prosthetic. So, there was just enough space that they actually had, you know, the arc reactor hole in there. And they just had the bright light on top of it. So it was so bright, you couldn't see the edges of where the makeup kind of turned from the prosthetic to Tony. And then they put it at an angle where it looked like Pepper was actually going in deeper than she was. So that was fully practical effects. None of it was CGI. That is so cool. And that, that's another thing that's mm -hmm. like, that's really cool, you know? And then he's like, touch, don't touch the sides, like operation. She's like, what's that? <laughs> like, it's like she somehow hadn't played <laughs> operation in her whole damn life, you know? So it's just, there's some really cool scenes. And the, the relationship with the robots and you get this more as you go along, obviously, 
and then Vision is one of his robots. But like, but the fact that he doesn't really have any real friends, right? And he says that to Pepper at one point that you know he's she's all he has, you know. But yep. But the relationship with him between him and his robots, you know, specifically the robot that keeps trying to put him out when he, when he's not on fire, but like, <laughs> you know, the relationship that he has with them and he's giving them one-liners, he's making fun of them and he's giving them crap and he's doing as if they're real people. And I think that that's one of the things that's interesting about him is he treats his technology like that because he feels like they are real and they are helping him. Uh, and he's, you know, they're not just, it's not just him doing it. It's also them doing it, which I think is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just a really dynamic really cool dynamic with him that you see kind of all the way through he's always talking to jarvis and and um and uh what's the what's the woman's name um uh oh um friday 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 Friday, right so he's always talking to jarvis and friday about you know about how things work and okay do this and find that and you know it's just it's all it's very interesting the relationship that he has between him and, and the robots and i think that's fascinating and they do a great job setting it up in this one Definitely. That's actually something I never really thought about, but that is very cool. And it shows how kind of closed off he is from real people and how his most intimate relationships and the people that he trusts the most outside of Rhodey and uh, Pepper at the beginning are his robots. That's actually, that's, right. that's a good, uh, good call. Yeah, no, I, you know, and then, and then this movie too, like you see, you see the obsession that he has. And I think really his biggest obsession is protecting people from mistakes that he's made writing the wrongs mm-hmm. that he has done you know and this this is obviously a, a common theme throughout all the movies right obviously the first iron man iron man 2 iron man 3 even you know clearly ultron right this is where ultron comes from but all these movies are about him you know and even when you get into spider-man far from home and all this stuff he is the one that has caused all these problems his mistakes from when he was younger and when he wasn't thinking about people and when he was being selfish he's trying to right those wrongs and he becomes obsessed with it, right? And then obviously ends up yep. ends up making Ultron because of that. And so obviously it leads into that whole thing, which of course leads into Civil War, which you know, you know, whole thing, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's a, a longer term story, but it starts in the very first movie, the MCU. And one of the things they do a great job about in, in the MCU, and they do it with Cap. We talked about it with Cap as well. The characters are consistent. They're consistent characters yep. all the way through. So the things that drive him in the first Iron Man are still the things that drive him in Avengers Endgame. Like, it's what he does. It's who he is. He's a consistent character. It's not like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna do a complete shift in the in his thinking. It's just not like we're not doing that. Like it, he, you know, they build a storyline. They stick with it the whole way through. And I think they do a great job of starting it in Iron Man and then staying true to it throughout the entire MCU. Yeah, and I think that's where um, the MCU casting director, her name is Sarah Finn, she is probably the best in Hollywood or in the world at what she does. Because think of who they cast for their starting through. Robert Downey Jr. is someone who had a checkered past, who was in a position where he was a bachelor, playboy, whatever, you know, that hot rod kind of guy that people didn't really want to touch after a while because – He's as, as charismatic as he was, and as much as success as he had, he was also someone who was seen as, you know, not being the best person. And now he's turned that around, and now he's one of the most recognizable faces on the planet and someone that every single kid in the world will recognize if they see his picture. Yes. Then you look at Chris exactly. Evans. Chris Evans is Captain America. People say it all the time. Like, he's, oh, yeah. he's political. He's very much about what's right and what's wrong. He voices his opinion. 
He doesn't back down. He's, you know, he's someone who will stand up for himself, even though he isn't, he's still a soft-spoken guy. He's not going to let you push him around. It is insane how they literally cast these characters. And then over the years, I think what helped with that consistency is because these characters, they were inhabiting characters that were so much like them. Obviously, Chris Hemsworth is kind of different. He had the charisma and the body, but then they started to incorporate his humor more after they got away from the more Shakespearean parts of Thor. But these people started understanding their own characters so well, it made it way easier when they were going off, you know, years down the road and all these directors changed because they were like, yeah, I I don't really think Tony would do that. Or I, I think Cap would do this. Because they know better than, you know, Chris Evans knew Captain America better than the Russos because he'd already been Captain right. America twice already. Exactly. So, you know, was it twice or no, three times? No, yeah, it was Avengers, Captain America, and Age of Ultron. So, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really cool to see their growth because these actors care so much about the characters. Marvel obviously cares so much about their characters. And, you know, it's easily what, what makes people want to go and spend mo- money to see these movies and obsess over them and talk about them is, the depth and the quality of the characters that they produce, you know, when they have somebody that they really know they need to invest in. Right. No, I agree a hundred percent. Agree a hundred percent. And, and, uh, what I, I guess we'll, I guess we'll finish up one of the things, um, for me, you know, and again, it's an MCU thing, right. But far from home, obviously it's people that have all been hurt by Stark. Right. And you see the mm-hmm. one guy in this Iron Man movie, right. Now, Jake, Joe and Hall's like, you know, you don't see him. You don't see half of the guys, but you do see the the guy from far from home who does all this tech. Um, and yep. you know, Obadiah is in his face, and he's like, you know, Tony Stark did this in a cave, and he's like, well, I'm not Tony Stark. Like, I don't know what you want me to do, you know. And another issue right think, there too, right? And again, like it's you start looking at it and you say, hey, look, the the MCU doesn't have to do that, right? They could have made up some other character, but they brought him back specifically for that. Because he was in Iron Man, he was in the first Iron Man, and they bring him back. It was a throwaway line. He was a throwaway character, but yep. here he is back in, in another movie. And again, you don't remember him, right? When I saw him on screen, when I'm watching Far From Home, I'm like, oh, okay, all right. And then I went back and watched Iron Man. I'm like, oh my god, yeah, it's the same guy. Like it's that's the same you know, guy. <laughs> like, it, it's crazy. And so that's the type of stuff where they don't necessarily have to do it, but they do it because of the continuity and consistency and they really take pride in that. And so I think it's something that, that deserves to be mentioned. And in the ending of this movie, the very end, you know, the two last scenes, obviously, you know, the first scene where he's up at the press conference is just, is so good. Right. And he starts talking about, you know, I'm not the superhero type and this and that. And then he's like, the truth is, and he looks at the cards. He's like, the truth is I am Iron Man. And it just cuts to black and Iron Man's, you know, Sabbath starts playing and it's like, Oh, it's unbelievable. It's so good, you know? And then the the last scene with with uh well, I guess the 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 end credit scene with uh, Samuel Jackson, Nick Fury, and he says to him, he goes, You think you think you're the only superhero out there? He goes, You're part of a bigger universe now. And that's a, a, a line that to me didn't really hold a ton of weight when I saw it for the first time. But now knowing what they've built off of it and knowing what they were planning to build off of it, obviously is a line that has a lot of weight behind it. Because he's not just oh, yeah. saying you're part of this universe. It's like this is the we are building a universe and you're part of it, you know. And it's just it's fascinating. I know? was geeked out, man. I was freaking out when he said <laughs> Avengers. I was like, wait, is that Nick Fury? Man, I I, I remember I like hit my mom. I was like, mom, it's the Avengers, and she's like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> but oh, I didn't want to cut you off because you were on a roll. But dude, we got more Easter eggs. So the Yo, guy yes. who Obadiah saying yelled at. Do you know who that is? No. That is the kid from A Christmas Story. That's Ralphie, all grown up. What? 
I'm serious. Look, Bro. look at his eyes, and you'll immediately be able to tell. He's got those big baby oh blues. I think he's, like, friends with John Favreau or something like that. I think they worked on a movie before. Uh, he had some connection with somebody who made the movie, but that kid, that guy who gets yelled at is Ralphie from A Christmas Story. That is crazy. Yep. And then, so what else? There's other ones. Uh, Tony Stark, the I Am Iron Man line, was actually improvised on the day. The thing that was on that card did not say I Am Iron Man. Robert Downey Jr. just decided he was going to do it. And that decision, Kevin Feige was like, that's amazing. Yes, we're doing it. That led to everybody in the MCU basically giving up super ide- uh, secret identities because it made Feige realize that it was kind of an annoying thing to have to deal with where your right. characters it's – and it's a redundant trope that honestly, like, I get sick of when I have to see a character, like, constantly, unless it's something unique. You know, it gets old seeing someone constantly just lie to everyone they love. And then it's a like, Clark oh, I don't trust stuff, you because yeah. you're not dependable. Yeah, like Clark Kent, you see it with him. You see it with Tobey Maguire in all his movies except for, like, Spider-Man 3 where, you know, everybody just shits on him because he's never around. And it's like, oh, no, but I'm saving lives. I want to be. Um, right. So, again, Robert Downey Jr. with a massive impact on the MCU, just deciding on the day that he was going to say what he wanted and it completely shifting uh, the philosophy that they had. And then the Nick Fury I mean, line, actually. You... Oh, sorry. Go on. Go on. Go ahead. No, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Say the Nick Fury thing, and then I want, I want to talk about that, about that uh, Iron, yeah. Iron, Iron Man line. So the Nick Fury, that scene where he says, you know, he proposes the Avengers initiative, he actually was supposed to say something. Like, there was a deleted scene because they were going to include the X-Men and Spider-Man, but they didn't have the rights from Fox or Sony in time to use it in the movie, so they had to take it out. But his original line was something like, as if mutants uh, assorted like gods and wall crawlers weren't enough. Like, he basically directly talks about X-Men and Spider-Man like That's while he's looking out the window and then turns around so you could see that they were planning on making this huge from way early on that's just a scene that most people didn't know about until like half a decade a decade later and uh one more easter egg that uh we forgot to throw in there was they actually referenced war machine in the first movie when terrence howard looks at the silver suit and goes right. next time yep. baby because in the next one don Cheadle takes that suit and pimps it out and turns into war machine again I remember, like, yes. um, hitting my mom, being like, Mom, he's going to be War Machine. And she just smiles, like, you know, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. But, um, yeah, great. that movie, was it was crazy how much they set up. And the success of that movie, obviously, gave them the platform to just completely blow the whole thing up and create the MCU. Right. I agree. And and we'll talk about we'll talk about the Terrence Howard slash Don Cheadle thing uh, it, during Iron Man 2. I think it's more relevant then, and so we'll talk about it then. Um, but imagine just i just want to go back to that to that i am iron man thing and, and it's so fascinating that downey jr is the one that came up with that line on the spot that it wasn't designed for that imagine what the mcu would be like if that hadn't happened uh, imagine what iron yep. man 2 looks i mean the entire plot line of iron man 2 exists and you can debate whether it's a good movie or not but the entire plot line of iron man 2 exists because everyone knows he is iron man if don't if no one knows iron man then what the heck point is it you know so and that so, wasn't a thing in the you know, comics either, because in the comics, he, Iron Man was his, like, his bodyguard. Everybody knew Tony Stark and everything. He was basically Batman, and then Iron Man was that guy who'd always come around to save him because he hired him. So in the comics, right. people didn't know that he was Iron Man, I, I think, until the comic book Civil War storyline, where they got rid That's of secret identities. But again, that, was, that wasn't like... Of, that wasn't just some small move the way it seems now. That was a very big decision to do to completely change the direction of the character. Right. Well, and you, you look at it too. I mean, they even referenced the bodyguard thing 
you know, in Iron yep. Man, when they talk about, you know, you expect us to, to believe it's just your bodyguard that's up there, you know? So uh, really, really kind of fascinating stuff, you know? And, and you think about how much that one move by him changed the core. And, and, you know, you think about like, and there's a million things that happened, but like, when you think about things that, that changes the course of what happened, right. And whether one person gets a role or another person doesn't, and you know what it looks like here and there and whatnot. And it's like, uh, you know, Will Smith turned down the matrix. Like, what is that? What does that movie look yep. like if, if it's Will Smith instead of Keanu Reeves? Right. And so you wonder, like you wonder stuff like that, but then you also think about stuff like that line with Downey Jr. Well, what if he doesn't give that line? What if it is, what if he does stay, you know, as a secret identity and he doesn't come out as Iron Man in that first movie. And again, it's the third movie in this set, but it's the first movie in, in real life when we're talking about it. And so people bought into it because that ending was so dope. And of course they bring it back a million times, including at the end of Endgame, with basically his, I think it's his last line in the entire MCU. And so, you know, you just, well, I mean, not counting, of course, the, the post-mortem uh, thing that he gives, but yep. you know, think about how important that line was and it wasn't even in the original script that's just him riffing off of something and and them thinking it was a great idea so really kind of unbelievable stuff and again oh. it goes back to casting you know yep and then we actually forgot one more easter egg this is actually a pretty important one they set up shield in the movie which was yes. huge obviously that was that was one thing that again another captain marvel uh screw up when they call it shield it wasn't actually that's called shield yet in the movies because clark greg right. is always like I'm with the strategic homeland intervention right. in the logistics division or whatever, but right, he keeps right. talking about it. And then eventually he's like, just call it shield. And the name shield in the comic books was actually changed like three or four times. And the original emblem, obviously we know the one that's like metal with the cool wings, but originally it was like a yellow crest with a black uh, bird or Eagle or whatever on it. And that symbol is actually somewhere in the movie. I forget what scene it is, but they reference shield. And because Clark hmm. Gregg who plays agent Colson was so charismatic and everyone loved him so much. He was only supposed to be in that one movie. And they were like, wait, he's amazing. That was what was got him good. the job to end up in Thor again. He shows up and has a decent role in that and then come back in the yep. Avengers and then Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. if you watch that show. So that's also pretty cool that, you know, you talk about charisma carrying a franchise or, you know, um, actors changing the course of the MCU. Court Gregg wasn't even supposed to be in the movie past Iron Man. And he got his way into a few more movies and an entire TV series. So he yeah, definitely deserves some credit. I think it's easy to forget about Coulson, you know, since he hasn't been in the movies in forever, but he was an important character early on in the MCU and was kind of like the, the audience's foot in this world um, of all Agreed. these yep. gods and, you know, geniuses. Right. And even Nick Fury, right. He's like, he's a way lesser version of Nick Fury. And so, you know, Fury's a, a part of shield, of course, but you know, you can relate way more to Coulson than you can to Nick Fury, you know? So uh, so he's definitely, you know, definitely kind of our view into it. I agree with you. So I'm, I was happy they brought him back for uh, for Captain Marvel. So, so all right, I I think that does it for Iron Man. Um, that does it for the first Iron Man. We're going to be back uh, in a few days with Iron Man two, and then we're going to continue on from there as well. Thanks for listening, guys, and hope you're all staying safe out there. And uh, and hey, we'll just we'll just keep watching and we'll keep talking here, and and hopefully we'll have some interaction from you guys. If there's something else you want us to stay talk about or bring up or maybe even do a different segment on here let us know and uh you know we'll, we'll add some things in there people want to hear different things but for right now we're just reviewing these and, and trying to give you as many easter eggs as we can taylor i love the fact that you got all these you got all these easter eggs and all these random facts and stuff i love it so it's it's great and i hope I people can't do math like but i know my mcu <laughs> <laughs> you got me for the math so don't worry about it you know so. that's right
All right, guys, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.